Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and creative control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Oliver Ackerman is a talented multi-instrumentalist, inventor, producer, entrepreneur, and singer based in Brooklyn, New York. Originally from Virginia, Ackerman is the creator of Death by Audio Guitar Pedals and Instrument Effects, a co-founder of the Dead Strange record label, and the driving force and lone original member of the band A Place to Bury Strangers. Formed 20 years ago, A Place to Bury Strangers are a loud, noisy, shoegaze-flavored post-punk band who have released countless singles and EPs and six albums, including See Through You, which is out on Dead Strange on February 4th, 2022. Oliver and I connected recently for a good talk about Brooklyn lofts and industrial art spaces, his background in industrial design, and where the ideas behind Death by Audio came from, the emergence of Dead Strange, 
and its eclectic international roster, how his band has been ascribed and also shaken loose some genre signifiers, the ever-changing and particularly fruitful current lineup of A Place to Bury Strangers, the lyrical themes and melodic sound of See Through You, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 663rd episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Oliver Ackerman with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Oliver, how's it going? Good. How you doing, Vish? I'm um, good. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, where in the world are you there? I'm in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, nice. Well, it's nice to, uh, to to chat with you. I don't believe we've ever interacted before in our lives. So yeah. it's uh, <laughs> as to my knowledge, but <laughs> it's nice to speak with you. Uh, how long have you been in Brooklyn again? Uh, I've been in and out of Brooklyn and Queens uh, since like 2002 or something. So kind of right, a while. You're- Long hauler there. Yeah, should have got out a long time ago. They, you know. <laughs> that is kind of the uh, the dawn of the current form of gentrification, if you will. Is that right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah something like that. It might be the next day or something. Who knows? <laughs> I was there in uh, on a tour in 2000, and there was a lot of uh, people with loft spaces and recording studios. Do you know that fellow uh, Shazad Ismaili? Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I was cool. uh, on tour with a, uh, some friends of mine. I was road managing them, and we got to, I don't know how it was all connected, but we, we ended up at Sufyan's loft when he was in oh, Brooklyn. Cool. and And then Shazad was involved, and Shazad was a character. He would drive across the Brooklyn Bridge using his feet on the steering wheel totally. and play bass, bass as he was driving. We would hear these stories, and I think my band actually uh, traveled with him and witnessed some ex- ex- eccentricity. But anyway, my point is, I could tell, because everyone had like a, an old factory space that they sure. lived in, you know? So that I could was... kind of tell, is that what was going on at the time? Is that Do you live in a factory? Let me ask you that. I did live in a factory in Queens, and we were there for a while. And I lived in a factory in Brooklyn and a, a few of them. And I do love that lifestyle and everything. But uh, recently now I have a factory and an apartment. I guess I've kind of grown up a little bit or something. But uh, I love the factory <laughs> life. That's definitely where my heart is. That that was, at one point, the American dream was to not only have an apartment but to own a factory. I mean, that's that's what Henry Ford envisioned, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, I really just like the way that even those things, like how kind of blurring the lines between your life and your work and um, just also the ability to be able to do whatever the heck you want at any time, like drive around yeah. with your feet. <laughs> Without fear of legal reprisal, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if these days you could come. You, you, I don't know. Shazad, like myself, a brown, a tall brown man. 
I don't know if you can drive. I, I would feel uncomfortable. I always just try to stay fairly invisible. So driving around with my feet, I feel that might draw undue attention to me by by law enforcement and others. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There really was a time, though, that you would feel comfortable doing that in New York. <laughs> and that's like when I moved here, I had those feelings. And I used to live in Providence, Rhode Island, and I had that feeling there, too, just because it was sort of like a run-down, dilapidated factory town. And mm. so that's why New York seems so great is it was like a factory town filled with artists and musicians and stuff. So, Yeah. Oddly enough, we hit Providence, Rhode Island on that same tour and played a little bar space. It was a weird, uh, almost had like a living room feel. I don't remember what the name of the, obviously it was 20 years ago or 22 years ago. But anyway, yeah, sure, so lots cool. of connections there. So you, are you from, uh, you mentioned you, you got to Brooklyn in 2002. Or does that suggest you're from Providence originally? I'm actually from Virginia, Fredericksburg, Virginia, and then just I went see. to school in Providence and had a really good time and then moved to New York after that. I see. What did you go to school for, by the way? Uh, industrial design. Oh, well, there you go. That's perfect yeah. for everything you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyone who's listened no, to your the band. Factory love. The what? <laughs> <laughs> you got the factory love, but then when you think of a place to bury strangers, that seems like industrial design, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. There you go. There's yeah, a little sure. bit of industrial design even in the sound of your of your music. Yeah. Okay. So or you, you didn't. Or yeah. <laughs> what do you? What does that actually entail? I don't mean to be facetious, but what is industrial design? Well, what is your course of study? What are you meant to be doing with the, that that course of study? Uh, designing anything that kind of like gets manufactured, really. So it's, but you know, like you're sort of working on, you know, when you need somebody who's an industrial designer, you're sort of designing these kind of like complex high end things that'll be like ergonomic or, you know, work with, you know, they're like leads. That's like the art or the kind of goal of it is like make the ultimate car or like a spaceship huh. or like some really cool chairs or, you know, I don't know, just kind of even knowing the ins and outs of all that stuff so you can sort of design things that get made and people use. Ah, I don't mean to put you in any kind of art vandalay situation, but would you have designed anything we, we would know? Is there anything that you've made that we could be like, oh, oh, I didn't even know that was Oliver? Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I have that pedal company, Death by Audio, and so we've That's right, you know, yeah. built tons of pedals and stuff for people and... You know, when I worked and did some like design for some kind of like toys that were in like art museums and stuff, but nothing that I don't think anyone would really know. Not a wing of the Guggenheim per nah, se, or anything. Yeah, yeah, no. Maybe, yeah I no. <laughs> uh, you know, you just referenced Death by Audio, and I find this fascinating. Can you tell the people listening at home or wherever they are listening right now what is Death by Audio, and and why did you uh, basically invent that? Yeah, it started out as like a guitar effects pedal company and we build like kind of just crazy guitar effects that people can use and being a musician who likes crazy noise and all sorts of things like that, it was, you know, I'm one of those people who kind of like likes to dive into that kind of stuff and make there be like an outlet for people who are like misfit artists who want stuff that is too freaky for the normal person. Mm. And then that kind of became like this warehouse space in Brooklyn. And we were like throwing shows from like uh, 2005 to 2014 and turned into some, to some other things of other people who live there, like a um, like an arcade 
game company and um, I see. Yeah. So it branched out. Branched yeah. out from just stomp stomp it boxes. Is. I see. Yeah. Now does that did you did you come up with this because uh, you know, those of us who go to the music store we're very familiar with seeing the they're usually like under some sort of glass display case. They don't want you to actually muck around with them, but you see the all the boss distortion pedals, like they're like jewelry almost. You're sure. like, can I? Can you unlock the thing so I can touch it? And they're like, well, let's see. Anyway, did was it was was your invention the result of you feeling like you surveyed the marketplace and you weren't quite? You needed like five pedals to get the sound that you really wanted. Is that what was happening? You just you thought there was a, a gap in the marketplace. Uh, I mean, I was just trying to make equipment for myself to record with and make, you know, sounds and music and, you know, be able to perform with this kind of different stuff. So it was more just, you know, necessity to make my own music. And then it just kind of turned into this sort of thing where, you know, I just tried to make some money real fast one time and started the company to kind of make that happen. And then people kind of really liked the different stuff I was building. And then... I started doing this thing where I would build anybody anything that they wanted. And that kind of like helped me learn a lot of things and sort of figure out different stuff. And as time goes on, it's just really fun to invent stuff. And as you kind of dive deeper and deeper and deeper, you just sort of like go further and further down this rabbit hole of what's the craziest effect that you can possibly make. And it's fun. And and just for the lay the lay person, how does one do that? Like how you clearly must. Uh, I'm guessing you have at least one soldering gun. That's my first instinct. You know, this guy must have a couple of soldering guns. But in terms of the uh, circuitry and the electronics, that's your background. You have some training in that, or did you teach yourself how to? You it's know, all just, I assume that I assume that's part of it, right? Yeah, it's all just self taught, you know. And it was it was back even at a time when there wasn't so much information available on the internet. So it was lots of like going to technical libraries and reading books that I had no idea what was going on and um, just kind of trial trial and error and taking lots of stuff apart and breaking it and eventually just, you know, being able to kind of do some of that stuff and it just builds from there. So what's in there? You open up a, I've never done it. I've never opened up a a pedal. What's all in there? What do you, is it just a bunch of cables or little wires or is there a microchip? What, 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 what is making the oscillation how do you switch and back and forth i really don't know i'm being serious here sure how, yeah, how, do you, yeah. how, how does it's, it work i'm just curious it's all sorts of things really you know and you, you know kind of you get excited and you want to explore the different technologies but basically like in a guitar effects pedal there'll be some sort of like stomp switch which turns it on and off there'll be like jacks which connect whatever it is to you know the the stomp switch and all of that then there'll be the circuit board and that'll have everything that you want to do with the sound and it'll take whatever electrical pulse goes in and then does all sorts of different things with it, whether it runs it through amplifiers or things which like flip the waveform around or, you know, change the waveform in some sort of way or whether it be like, a, you know, some sort of microprocessor, which it basically puts it into a little computer and then spits out some other information. And then you yeah. kind of like do any sort of and all sorts of combinations of that. So, based on your experience and your knowledge, could you make your own cell phone? Could you make anything at this point? Are you MacGyver? Like, can you just... <laughs> is that your instinct? Is like, oh, the toasters. How can I make a, my own toast? I don't quite like the toast. I'm yeah. going to make my own toaster. Are you that guy? Can you do that stuff? I mean, you could, but it's the kind of thing where it's like someone else has dedicated their life to kind of make the ultimate toaster. Yeah. In some sort of respect. So, it's like... 
I don't know, maybe if, if you were like, man, I really want like a giant piece of toast, you know, and nobody makes a yeah. big toaster like you would want to go down that road. <laughs> but, uh, you know, otherwise you're just kind of happy and content with the, the things that people, other people are making. It's more about like if you have an idea that nobody else has had before. And so yeah. you feel like you're kind of like innovating something. And, you know, I mean, I guess I could go down the road of like cell phones or something, but that technology is like, so mass produced and so you know microscopic you know it's probably a giant team who designs every single cell phone so i think i would be you know making like i don't know maybe like a really advanced tin can with strings attached to it or something oh i see okay that would be you would go old school i see okay i should pause because we we have mentioned the toaster we should pay tribute to its inventor, the great military genius, General Electric. We haven't done that yet, and I just yeah. want to thank... So I'm saluting General Electric right now. Now, I, I assume as a business person, you have to employ a certain amount of confidentiality and discretion, but are there... Do you have clientele that we would know who have been publicly like, holy lord, I love these death by audio pedals. I'm a great guitar player. You should listen to me and get yourself a death by audio pedal. Do you have people like that that you can cite? Yeah, anyone you could think of, you know, like uh, Lou Reed, Kevin Shields, um, uh, Lady wow. Gaga, um, I don't know, all sorts of people. It, but, you know, it's like the John Dwyer and, uh, I don't know, the list goes on and on. It's pretty insane, you know, what has just kind of happened with this stuff. It's like as the years go on when you're making something in this kind of like niche market of things which are like totally bananas and super awesome and being a musician and being able to kind of like create those things that sort of connect with musicians is uh i don't know pretty insane no well that's that's remarkable so so first of all it sounds to me that you have the distribution capability where anyone from say me here in edmonton if i go to the music store and say i want a death by audio pedal can I get one? Will they be able to be like, yeah, we'll order it. We we get, we we have that on our distribution chain. Can that happen? Totally. They might even have it in the store already. Nice. Okay, so this is a big deal. Is this your main? I'm not trying to say anything's your main gig. You're a multifaceted person. We're ostensibly <laughs> here to talk about a place to bury strangers. But do you have like a is is the pedal stuff your main gig, so to speak? Is that does that take up uh, a lot of your time? I don't know. I mean, I kind of like go back and forth between all of these different sorts of things. You know, we also run a record label, which is doing pretty good. And Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of, like, fluctuates as time goes on. It's like, I want to be working on all of these different things. And so you sort of just figure out some ways to kind of juggle it. But, you know, there's also, like, a lot of other people who work with me on all of this stuff. So, you know, they kind of can take over some of the work and do things when I'm not available and all of that. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a few people there, but I really want to home in on Lou Reed for a moment, uh, who, sure. who has passed, and we miss him. Uh, I don't know if he'd appreciate that we miss him. He he had a reputation for being cantankerous. He might tell me to fuck off for even saying <laughs> yeah. I miss him. I have no idea. Is that a situation where you hear tell that some of these figures are using your stuff, or do you ever get to interact with them to make sort of customized products for them like did you ever interact with Lou Reed on any kind of personal level I never interacted with Lou Reed but I heard that a lot of people were like he told people about the pedals and were like oh you would really like this so I know he really liked them and then Hmm. um, you know and I guess it must have even 
you know, I haven't heard from these people directly, but I always get invited to do this thing where it's like a, a tribute to Lou Reed where they do mm-hmm. it like on the anniversary of his or on his birthday. Um, mm-hmm. m- most years where it's like a bunch of his, the people who were like his road crew and stuff like put together a show and I've like played a few of them. And, like, oh, I nice. Read songs with them and stuff. And so, you know, I, I didn't know him at the time, but sometimes you do get to collaborate with the artists and stuff and kind of work on some kinds of things. And, and sometimes not, you know, that just kind of happens. Sometimes you don't even realize you're, you know, someone's like, I'm coming over in a little bit. And you're like, sure, come on by. And then, yeah. you know, it's, it's the guy from Sun or something like that, you know. Whatever. Oh, nice. You didn't realize, you know, whatever he was coming over or something. You're like, oh, cool. You know, so. Was it, was it Stephen O'Malley? Um, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm prying now. I don't mean no, to be no, nosy. It's, right. it's just yeah, a, totally. it's my nature. I just uh, I wonder. Uh, anyway, that's cool. That's all very good. You're very yeah. dynamic. You mentioned the label Dead Strange, so that seems like uh, a point of order, so to speak. We could talk sure. about that. This is a relatively new enterprise. Is that right? Yeah, we just started it. It's even I don't even know. Maybe like a year ago or something. And so we sort of started it to release the Place to Bury Strangers records, and then. You know, as that kind of started up and we we're talking with a bunch of friends, like a bunch of other people were like super excited to do stuff for the label and work with us. And then we just, I don't know, you kind of, you hear a record and you're like, oh man, this is so great. And the band's interested in putting it out on our label. And you're, then you're like, next thing you know, you're putting out the record. Yeah. And so who, uh, besides your own work and a place to bury strangers, what is your roster looking like at the moment? It's a young label, but how many artists are you working with? And who, actually? Uh, it's, how many artists is it? It's maybe like eight or nine artists. So we have this band Jealous from Berlin, this band Plattenbau from Berlin, this band Data Animal from New Zealand, um, Randy Randall from No Age, Lunacy from Philadelphia, uh, this band Wa Together from New York, uh, this band called Pleasure Magenta from Germany as well. Who else? I feel bad if I'm le- you know leaving well, one of the bands. Well, uh, and I don't mean to list, put you on the but, spot. Yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, but no, but it, they're that's... all like so incredible. And like some of these bands, like I hadn't seen, and we played this festival in Berlin, and we did a Dead Strange showcase. This was just in like uh, November. And man, all of these bands were so incredible. I was so happy. I was like, the bands that I didn't know if, like, I knew that their records were great, but I didn't know what they were like live. And they were just hmm. so great. So it was really cool. So Germany, key for you, it seems. Uh, is that a, do you have any affiliation with, with the country or is it just because, is it a, is it just you've got three or four bands from Germany on your label? You know, interestingly, in the back in the day when someone started their own label, it often meant that something was going on in their immediate community, you know, and they sure. wanted to give everyone a, a chance and, a, and and capture it almost for archival purposes, you know. Uh, but now, you know, it's interesting that the first bands you cited on Dead Strange were, they're from Germany, in a somewhat, you know, a very international flavor. Germany, New Zealand, Philadelphia, exotic Philadelphia. Like that's, uh, <laughs> so that's, that's fascinating. So that, that probably speaks, but again, you've, you've created a community for them. So that speaks to something, doesn't it? That the community is very widespread. The feeling, the sense of belonging can happen around the world. I'm not saying anything innovative here, but that just strikes me that sometimes yeah. the, these, I mean, there's I something think- to that, I think. Yeah, I think also, you know, it's like now in this kind of day and age and being in a band that gets to travel around too, you kind of start to sort of meet 
people from other places and you develop sort of strong friendships and something about even, you know, when like maybe it's like in absence, your heart makes it fond or something. It's like when you yeah, can't yeah. see your friend, you're always like excited to talk to them and see what's been up. And then, you know, there's something kind of exciting about people from all over the world. And, and I think that yeah. it's even easier for people to connect now. And so I feel like we can kind of even do, you know, some sort of more things with kind of like a wider worldwide thing, you know, it just seems like more of a fun kind of thing to connect people, I think, from all over. Yeah, it's fascinating that we're touching upon inclusivity because I feel like some of the language around recent A Place to Bury Strangers music has been about how it's a little more accessible, a little more melodic. I mean, following through on our guitar pedal, noise guitar pedal sort of conversation, it's fascinating to me that there's this sort of dialogue about this band shifting a little bit and and kind of measuring the noise with a little more, um, as I say, melody. Just some, There's just the, I think the subtext is the band seems to be getting a little more accessible. And then you're talking about this <laughs> label being more inclusive. I, I say all this to maybe get us to the beginning of the band, because I, I, I want to just, for those who don't know, I want to kind of, and I don't know, so I'd like to dig into it a little bit. Sure. Having said what I just said, I think you know where I want us to go, but can you talk a little bit about how this band started, when it started, and maybe what your your sonic approach was at the time? Uh, can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, it, it started around like 2003, I think, or 2002, right around that time, right when I moved to New York. And I had kind of almost, I don't know, I was sort of like given up on music in some kind of way. I had been in this band previously, and we tried so hard to like book all these tours and do all of these things. And, you know, we just hit so many walls. It was just kind of so difficult. So when uh, I moved to New York, I'd kind of given up on sort of like pushing these things so much. And it was more like have a band that was kind of for, you know, to, to make things for myself or just do focus on doing what was fun or making the sounds that I wanted to hear. And, and so, I, you know, I had met some people. They were even looking for a drummer in a band. And I said, sure, I'll play drums in your band. And then it kind of quickly sort of transformed into uh, me playing guitar and then you know, then I just kind of started taking over the band and writing all the songs and doing everything, I guess. And then, uh, you know, and then we kind of, you know, had some shows and did some things. And, you know, I would try to just because we love to play music, we would play as many shows as we possibly could. Sometimes it would be like four or five times a week and, you know, recorded the demos and stuff at home to kind of like get everyone else who was in the band just kind of excited about the songs. It wasn't really with the intent of, putting these songs out or doing anything with them. Right. So in terms of the attack of the band in its earliest form, which again, I think when people talk about what the, where the band is currently, they're juxtaposing it with where it was and where it started from. That's my read on it. And that's, I think there's some elements of truth to that. It may have been a bit, no do you feel like it was just, was it sort of sheets of noise at one point? I mean, I mean, I think it still can do that, but do you feel like it was noisier and has gotten a little less noisy? Do you agree uh, with that? Yeah, it's quite possible. You know, we, you know, I don't know if we necessarily know what we were doing or you're just kind of like sort of experimenting with things and, you know, you imagine like, you know, oh, this is going to be a really great idea. And then that turns out to be what you do for a couple of years and, you know, it might be that you're playing through six amplifiers and they're all cranked up as loud as possible. And, 
you know, then you kind of come up with ideas that maybe are better or worse or, or you break yeah. all of that stuff and those kind of things happen throughout time and it just kind of like sort of shifts organically. And so I don't know. It's, you know, I guess that you feel like you're making the music like more powerful and more intense in ways, but in some ways, you know, there's something really cool about kind of, you know, messing it up and kind of getting that wrong and what sort of happens with that and, and that kind of struggle yeah. of, you know, hanging on for dear life and trying to make, you know, your your vision, failing your vision and what that you're trying to make. I know in the course of uh, a band's history, when they release music or put on a show or whatever, uh, the reception, the knee-jerk reaction is to... Um, compare what they're doing to something that came before it. Is there ever, have there ever been uh, people who have ascribed influences to you and a place to bury strangers that were either a right on the money, or have there been some where you're like, Jesus, still with this? Are we still talking about this? I, we don't. That's not a thing that we like. Can you cite that? I'm just curious if you can home in on that. I just, I don't want to ask you your influences. I'm doing this. Sure. And I'm, I'm telling you in a very overt way that I'm trying to sneak my way around asking you about your influences by just, now, why am I doing this? This is not how you ask someone a question. I've been doing this a long time. I've, I've taken sure. this question. It was going to be good. It was going to be smart. And now it's off the rails. Can you help me and just make me stop talking right now and answer yeah, my sure. initial question? Thank yeah, you. I appreciate um, that. Sure. The, uh, I mean, lots of people have compared us to, you know, we get kind of that sort of shoegaze kind of comparison and. You know, that I think really makes sense in a lot of ways, you know, like when I kind of first started um, playing guitar and being into that, you know, I really kind of fell in love with those sorts of sounds. And, you know, it kind of in a, a lot of ways kind of goes hand in hand with not really being able to play very well. You know, you kind of like sort of crowd everything with feedback and reverb yeah. and, and those no, kinds noise, of things. Noise saturation, basically. Noise saturation. Yeah. And so, you know, you kind of even let the guitar do a lot of that work. So it's bands like uh, the Jesus and Mary Chain or uh, My Bloody Valentine or Slow Dive. And, you know, that yeah. stuff definitely is like an influence. And we always kind of sort of pushed back on that and, you know, sort of was not that we didn't get where it kind of came from, but we sort of were trying to do this kind of thing where it was almost like, making you know i don't know futuristic punk rock music you know even though like that's kind of where our roots sort of came from so there's always been a little bit of that battle and i don't know we've never really or you, you don't always quite figure that out like in a recording sense but in a live setting i think that uh you know i don't know we've just maybe since it's played so many shows and you start to figure out so many different things that you could possibly do to like mess with the venue and the sound equipment and everything i think have really uh you know are able to do a lot of that kind of stuff that we'd always sort of wanted to do i mean in the i, I don't have this at the ready but i think somewhere in the 80s the 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 the, the, the genre signifier that we now know as industrial uh, started to pop up, and I had kind of viewed that as an extension of stuff like that Suicide were sure. doing in the 70s. Uh, is that band an influence in any way? Totally, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Suicide, yeah. tons of that industrial music. I mean, you know, yeah, all sorts of different things. I mean, at this point, are an influence, you know, early punk music or late punk music and noise music and, um, you know, I don't know. 
all sorts of yeah. different stuff, you know, and, and I, it's kind of like, you know, I, I've seen sort of bands where someone will compare them to someone and then they'll be like, oh man, we always get compared to whatever, the Rolling Stones or something. And so then they'll kind of like change their thing because yeah. they like, they just don't want to deal with this comparison. And I feel like a lot of times when people do that for the sake of doing that, it doesn't really end up that exciting or that well. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, I don't know. I always just tried to kind of like push away from whatever other people were kind of saying and really try to not let it influence me and just try to record whatever I really wanted to hear and what I was interested in and what kind of came out. And if that ended up being similar to some other things or something, uh, you know, I didn't really care. It's interesting that you raise this because we are, I think, in an age of heightened, hopefully heightened self-awareness, or at least a point where people are encouraged to maybe be like, hey, you're kind of acting a certain way. Maybe you don't see it, but we do. Yeah. And uh, and I see that in sort of human behavior. Uh, I, you can see it in band politics or office politics, you know, where someone's like, yeah, I don't know that if you can see what we're seeing right now. Totally. <laughs> or in my in my case, when we're raising our children, you're like, hey, you know, you're acting a certain way <laughs> sure. and it's affecting the whole house. Like, I don't know if you see it. But anyway, my point is, I just am thinking about it as we're talking here and like, the same could potentially be uh, potentially be applied to a band and its critical reception, because you're sure. so inside of it. And if there, if someone's like, "You sound like this," and your knee jerk is to be like, "I don't, I don't even know what that band is. Yeah. I don't sound like that." <laughs> like you might be projecting a little bit. Like you're you're clearly projecting and being defensive about what someone sees in you. And and I don't know. I don't have a real point here. It's just that just occurred to me that maybe there's truth in those comparisons, and you just. Out of either obliviousness, ignorance, or just trying to shake being pigeonholed, you're not willing to accept it. You know what I'm getting at there? Totally. I mean, I'm, you know, and from that kind of perspective and what you're saying, like, I'm totally into accepting it and, you know, whatever that sort of criticism and whatever it is that people may kind of think of that, you know, and that's fine. I'm just that, like, crazy person on the street who is like <laughs> you know content with being crazy you know and so yeah. it's like um and i think that that's kind of an interesting sort of you know idea and experiment too and there's sort of interesting things that can kind of come about with that and you know i'm sort of had to have the luxury in a lot of ways where you know there's enough people who are into the stuff that i do that i kind of can do something sort of pure and not worry about what like critics say and um, yeah. and not sort of, you know, have it to have it reflect on those kinds of things. And, you know, maybe that's a weird or strange sort of way of kind of looking at things. But I think like a place to bury strangers music in a lot of ways doesn't really sound like anyone else's music. And yeah, you know, for better or for worse, it's like even with all of the kind of like, you know, recordings and stuff that we do and all of the mixing and everything and you know, and I master people's records and I've mixed other people's records and done all of this stuff. And, you know, so much of it, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I never went to school for any of this kind of stuff. It's all just kind of based on what I feel like the world should be or whatever. And, you know, yeah. that's even the way it is kind of with these effects pedals. It's like we're sort of creating things which, you know, some other people wouldn't dare kind of do because there's maybe something like kind of, you know, stupid involved with it or something that's like mathematically doesn't work out in some, 
you know, specific way that's sort of beneficial to like the full frequency response or something. But, you know, we're just basing it on what we think kind of sort of like sounds cool and, you know, and sort of live in that world. And, you know, I think you, as music sort of progresses and you start to hear these like pop music that happens, it's like, it's so mathematically like beautiful in such a way where, you know, all of these frequencies are just like the perfect kind of things that just touch the senses in just the perfect way to where you kind of want to hear this again. It sounds great on every single stereo. There's like this, like, you know, like hyper sound quality that we're kind of starting to deal with and, you know, more and more. And I don't know, there's something just kind of nice about, you know, hearing something that, I don't know, it's kind of different than that. Yeah. And I mean, to follow through on what you were saying earlier about bands altering the, just to, to, to escape a pigeonhole and altering themselves just to almost like out of spite. Sure. <laughs> you know, I do think that you're altering your, I think the other thing I was going to say is like when people identify something in you, it might be painful for you, but it's, it might be a part of your core. Sure. So to change it radically, you're kind of in a in a false sense altering yourself now i'm not saying that this that if someone says hey you're as a person your behavior is problematic and you can change that that's great sure. but for a for a band to be like everyone says we sound like the stones so now we're going to sound like the monkeys instead sure you know on on purpose <laughs> like you're kind of no, yeah <laughs> no but uh the, um, you know what i, I mean I think also it depends on how the person reacts to it. Like, I, I guess I'm maybe talking more about someone who takes it kind of really negatively. You yeah. know, like someone could kind of take it and like get really bummed out that, you know, everything they worked for to sound like the stones or whatever is like their whole dreams are crushed. So they kind of like lose that fire where other people might take it as like an exciting challenge and that can actually yeah. bring apart something great. Yeah. Now, speaking of change, from what I understand and what I've read on the internet and other places, A Place to Bury Strangers has undergone uh, a fair number of lineup changes. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So are you the lone original member at this point? Yes. And do you have any perspective on, I'm sure every case is different, but is that something that uh, are there cases where you initiated that because you weren't happy with sounds or I mean I'm sure there's personal mm. reasons as well and we don't have to delve into that but can you in a in a nutshell sort of say like why do you think it's changed so much I mean it's like two things it's one it's either like some sort of personal reasons or some way that it didn't work out you know and then um, you know or it's like you can kind of just tell that someone sort of not as into the band maybe as you are and you know, yeah. with those kind of things, it sort of becomes like a blockade for what you're trying to do. Or then the other thing is like, I don't know, it's very much my band. And so I always, you know, wish and hope that other people like, or would rather them kind of like, I know how much important that is to kind of be in the band that you love or be doing whatever it is that you love. So I would always hope that people would like leave the band in a way and do what if they found something that they love to do more, you know, so... Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I always even think of that with like people who work at Death by Audio, the pedal company. Like maybe it's just even like a stepping stone to go off and either start their own band or, you know, start a family or work and make videos or whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. Fair enough. That's, and I appreciate your diplomacy there. And, and that, that makes sense to me. It's also been around a long time and, uh, 
and it seems to be as you say it's your vision so people come and go sometimes that's the way it is as i understand it the current lineup consists of you and at least bassist john fedowitz and drummer sandra fedowitz and they're a couple i believe uh, yes is that right yeah is that and that's it is, is there anyone else that plays with you live or anything like that that's it yeah just the three of us and uh, nice yeah I, I think that that's always i don't know you could have a lot of freedom in a three-piece you know in some ways you have more freedom in a two-piece but you get sort of the the, the full spectrum with the three-piece so it's Easy yeah, we all know we're we're all familiar with Rush. We know what you're sure. getting at there. Yeah, the ultimate power <laughs> yeah. trio formation. Yeah, yeah no, go. that makes that makes sense. Yeah. How did you connect with John and Sandra? Uh, I know they they are in a uh, they had their own project, or do they have their own band? And they I don't still even know. do. Yeah, Ceremony yeah. East Coast. And so John, I grew up with in Virginia, and so we played oh. in bands together. And he was in bands and stuff. And so when it kind of came time to sort of reform a new band i just knew that it was going to be like really fun and easy with john and so and that's what i kind of felt like i sort of needed at that time and it's been awesome you know i wasn't really sure how it would work but i just thought that you know working with like really good friends would be the way to go and it's mm-hmm. been just like really great and every time i would you know hang out with john and sandra like we would just have the best time so i figured let's make the band like that We've established that this is your band and your vision. Do John and Sandra, or did they, I should say, even on this record, uh, C3U, did they uh, collaborate with you and contribute ideas, or is it still a matter of you formulating where you think it can go and then just asking people to uh, more or less not replicate? But I guess what I'm asking is, did they feel comfortable coming up with their own parts in a sort of jam space situation, like a, a practice studio, or... Was it you saying, Here, here's what I think, here's what it is? For this record, they just barely play on the record, just like the tediest bit. Oh, I There's see. There's another okay. like guest drummer, like Paul Jacobs, who plays on one track, who's from Pottery, and, and his own thing, Paul Jacobs, and then uh, uh, an- another friend, Anna, who sings on one of the songs. I see. Uh, but, but really this, but they did like, contribute to the EP that we did before this. Oh, the hologram EP? The hologram EP, that actually was stuff that came was written and recorded pretty much after the album. Yeah. And then um, we've, we've been working on a lot of songs together, which will be coming out in the future. It's just the way that there's always these album cycles and everything that's going on. And because we weren't sure of what was going on with touring and all of this stuff, it's the album is i don't even know how old at this point you know a year and a half old or something like oh, that from, from right. my perspective but yeah i'm still you know super excited about it and we're doing all this really kind of cool stuff for it and these cool things that we're planning on doing live for all of that stuff and um, yeah okay so you envision it do you envision it being more collaborative than it has been up to this point with you john and sandra i mean Yes, definitely. I mean, I always loved that kind of thing, like the sort of kind of classic band, I, or at least the idea I had when I was a kid. Like when you saw a band and there was five people in the band, it probably was all five people that wrote those songs. So uh, yeah. I, I always liked that kind of thing. It just seems like a the right romantic idea. Yeah, like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, exactly. Just a... Just like the call back the Rolling Stones every yeah, once in a yeah, while. Yeah, there a, you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was looking. I, so your uh, vocals are emotive and impactful, but I also spent some time just reading uh, the lyric sheet, and I wonder if you can encapsulate 
it seems to me very deeply personal. Some of it seems very much directed at. In my reading, I thought these are about a specific person, not a generalized sensation or a universal sort of, you know, uh, outpouring towards humanity. It felt very specific to me, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, can you speak to those things? Like, does it feel like a particularly personal record for you in terms of lyrics? Yeah, it was. It was a really personal um, record. It was like I was going through like a really crazy sort of tough time, and you know, even before that, like a, a couple of years before that, I had another sort of like difficult experience where it was sort of like a really close friendship kind of breaking down. And I guess because you know, I don't know, involve your stuff with like friends and business, and that's not really necessarily a good idea. Yeah, yeah, and so. Yeah, it was just like this really kind of contentious. It was really the sort of the breakup of a place to bury strangers at that time, and it was sort of really contentious with me and um, one of the other members. And uh, I don't know, it just felt really kind of like betrayed and sort of duped or something, and on a lot of things. And that was, you know, at least a lot of that influence. And then, you know, what had happened to me even like a couple years before is like one of my partners in the Death by Audio company was like stealing money from the company and so it would just seem like another like crazy whirlwind of activities where you're like i don't know you're kind of like wishing or having hate upon someone that you really like really care for and so it's a really weird sort of space to be in kind of headspace and so i think a lot of this record sort of encapsulated some of those kinds of feelings and that kind of dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff Uh, from both of those experiences. Well, you're talking about some stuff that I can see leading to the more embittered aspects of the songs. What about the romantic ones? What about the sentimental ones? Those seem more hopeful. Totally. And, and, you know, and those are from those kind of, you know, they're sort of intertwined with a lot of the same kind of feelings, you know, or with the same kinds of people and some of those kinds of experiences. And, you know, I think it's, it's not always, you know, and everything isn't always so cut and dry you know you sort of hate someone for some reason why you even you know, because you love them in some ways you know you sort of yeah. feel like it wouldn't hurt so much if you didn't care about the person but because you do you feel sort of you know i don't know kind of let down and in some ways you may be trying to speak toward to the person to let them know in some ways that you do care for them and i don't yeah. know some of that is in there i know when when one sequences an album they might be primarily focused on how the the songs flow together sonically, but were you conscious of where these differing emotions of, like I say, I think anger and also gratitude uh, is, is how I'll encapsulate at least two of the moods. I noticed that, you know, if you look through the sequence of the record, it's like, I'm hurt is followed by let's see each other, which is followed by so low and dragged in a hole. And then as you go, it's I disappear when you're near. Uh, Later on, I don't know how you do it. Love reaches out. Like, do you know what I'm getting at there? Like, I just feel sentimentally, it's just an interesting roller coaster ride. And I wonder if you were conscious of that in the sequencing at all. Definitely. There was, I had this like, um, like a Shangri-La's record. I don't even know because it's like, I don't even I don't have that record anymore and I'm not even sure which one it was but it was like a sequence in a way where it was like the boy and the girl meet 
you know, and he's a badass or whatever on his motorcycle. He's the leader of the pack, you know, and then he dies. And then, yeah. you know, it's his, her, her, she, you know, her parents won't talk to her anymore and all of this stuff. And the record was sequenced in that way. And it really just kind of was such an interesting story. And then anytime you get these Shangri-Las like best of records, they don't even tell that story anymore. They just kind of throw yeah. whatever song was the most popular one first or something. And I just thought that that was like so neat and so kind of great to, to, that it's at least always been, you know, a little bit of a thought when kind of like doing these sorts of things now. Yeah, it's very thoughtful is I guess what I was really getting at. You've done a great job of, of that. It, it, it does, uh, if you pour, if you, if you spend time and do some deep listening, you're like, oh, there's a lot going on here, but it, it really captures the spectrum of, of human emotion. So, I guess what I'm saying, Oliver, is well done. Good job. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> now, I, you alluded to the fact that you played, I think you said you played some shows. You know, what's funny is uh, I recently had uh, Max Savage on this show. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you, are you familiar with Max? A little bit. Max uh, was in, uh, is in rather, Parquet Courts, yeah. and, and he talked about his band, Max Band. Yeah, we played playing with yeah. yeah, and he said, uh, and I was like, "You Max Band played with A Place to Bury Strangers? He's like, uh-huh. oh yeah, a big show. I think it was at Webster Hall or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, Bowery Ballroom. Yeah, yeah. That was or Bowery Ballroom, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not a New York guy, sorry. No, I guess sure, I just screwed up. They're yeah. similar. Was, I think he said it was at CBGB's, is that yeah, right? It, it, I, that's it, the it, venue it, I know it, the best. Was it Madison Square Garden? Anyway. Yeah, Madison Square Garden, yeah. <laughs> I think he said you Four guys nights. played the Ed Sullivan Theater, is that correct? Anyway, <laughs> my point is, uh, he, he. I was like, really, like the two bands together doesn't, I'm not, like, I was like, oh, that's an interesting bill. Anyway, that's neither here, was that a fun show for you to have that Max That was great, band? yeah, that was okay, such a good, good show. Yeah. That was really fun. But it was also like, you know, it was leading up to it. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, there's always kind of like cases, breakout cases and stuff. And should we cancel the show? And, you know, yeah. then everything always seems it's, it's, it's definitely like touch and go here in New York and, um, yeah, kind of, kind of crazy. So in that spirit, uh, do you have a sense of future plans at the moment? I, I know as we're speaking, it's almost impossible to know what even the next 12 hours is going to bring. In terms of news and whatnot, so are you? Ha- I saw. I think you have. If I if I believe I was sent a press release, you do have a bunch of stuff on the books for shows, right? Yeah, we do, but it's all kind of still up in the air. You know, it's kind of right. crazy as it is. Like all of these shows, we still don't really know if they're happening and what is kind of going on. Like, uh, right. kind of keep, things keep on changing, at least here in New York. You know where it's like oh well no they, cancer, you're not alone shows, it's yeah you know for a yeah. month and then and all of this stuff so it's yeah it's it's kind of a it's a sort of crazy sort of place to kind of be and then you even think about you know do you want to put people in a risky situation or something it's, uh, yeah it's not just about you playing it's yeah you're no, yeah, you're gonna sure. you're gonna put on a party for everyone to come and <laughs> totally, gather and exactly. and some of them it's like the worst idea like, ever during a pandemic yeah grimly <laughs> grimly percentage wise some of them aren't gonna it's beyond just like some of them might get uh secondhand totally. smoke like it's it's really yeah. like you know sorry that was a real 90s can no, you smoke no. in venues you can't smoke in venues in america can you no, not anymore. No, yeah, but. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a real throwback to the time. No, no. Where but I'm the, like, those were good times. There was something fun about being in some weird, smoky venue and coughing and whatever. But you know, 
Well, yeah, coming home as a teen from my con- <laughs> the club concerts and just your parents would be like, "What the hell?" I'm yeah, like, exactly. "Trust me, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life." <laughs> just yeah, relax. It, me. it was yeah. fifty. Don't worry, it was only five hundred other people smoke. <laughs> It's not mine. It's safe. Uh, you know, yeah, like, what someone the hell? spilled this whiskey on me. Don't worry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my point is, uh, what was my point? Yeah, I know it's hard to to plan things, but yeah, I, mean, um, I know you're releasing videos and stuff on uh, yeah, like let's see that. each other. Yeah, There's you're doing also that kind of stuff about like the live concerts. Like you know, it's also hard to know because. Um, you know, people want to go still do this stuff. You know, there's been those times where, you know, I've gone out and seen some things and stuff and, you know, it's, it's just, it's a tough thing for everyone to kind of deal with, I think. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's stressful on every level. And I appreciate everyone who's both trying to make it work, but also appreciating that it's not, uh, maybe in the general best interest to bring this stuff back. You have to understand, like, I am used to, or I was used to going, to shows two or three times a week if I could help it. Yeah. Um, if I could if I could figure out a way to manage it with family and work commitments, I would make an effort to go to, when I lived in Ontario, I would drive an hour to Toronto or I would go to the shows yeah, yeah, in the wow. town I lived in. And and so I do miss it, it's, but at the same time, I've resigned myself to, when my friends in Mets were here in Edmonton, yeah. I didn't go to their show. I went to see them the next day to say, hey, uh, oh, okay, yeah. outside. And I actually, I ended up helping them load out. So I did hey, go inside. <laughs> but that's just the kind of fella I hey. like. I can't stand out here while you guys are lugging all your crap. I gotta yeah. help, so I put on my mask and I did it. But anyway, my point is, I know you you must miss it. I guess was it fun to, despite the precarious nature of the world, were you able to have fun playing, or were you, were you totally? Was it too yeah, the shows were like no, a whole okay. lot of fun. They were really fun, and I feel like in some ways it even seemed like a lot safer time than it does now. So. That was three months ago, right? Something like that or Something four months like ago? That. Yeah, when we were in Berlin. I mean, there they just even also have a better systems where, you yeah. know, everyone like checks in on an app and is all traced everywhere they go and, you know, has to show that they've been vaccinated and all of this stuff, which, you know, even at the concert that we played, everyone had to have like negative, you know, rapid tests to even get in to the yeah, show. Yeah, that's and great. Stuff. So, I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it was definitely like a lot more of, you know, people kind of trying to, you know, make sure everyone was safe. But in every situation I've been in, you know, except for maybe in like North Carolina or somewhere, and we played a show, it's like people, once they start drinking, the masks kind of go down. Yeah, exactly. And so here yeah. they've, uh, in recent weeks, they've done the paradoxical thing of we're still going to keep the spaces open, but you can't drink or eat. So oh, like wow. acknowledging <laughs> that the safety is not really 100%. Huh. But also saying, well, we know you. We we will now, even though we've we've shut down the mask wearing mandate, we know you should be wearing your mask if you're around people. Like that's the kind oh, of yeah. cognitive dissonance we're in. Where they're like, you're just constant. Like these masks have become. I believe in the masks, but like they were a band aid. They're just one aspect. Yeah, of totally. All the shit. So like the live show thing, I'm not rushing back. To, uh, we have children, and I don't want yeah, to take those chances right now. So yeah, yeah. And, and and it's not even happening. It's, it's a moot point as we're speaking. Like yeah. like I said, there was some activity when the numbers were dropping, and then this new thing. Anyway, I don't want to talk about this. It's depressing. My point was going to be, <laughs> uh, you alluded to some of the new stuff that you're working on with your band uh, yeah. in terms of making new songs and, and writing new songs and all that stuff. 
Uh, are there any other future, and we've alluded to the fact that touring is up in the air, but are there any other new or future plans that you want to share, like new things we can look out for or future plans you want to share? Uh, I mean, we we kind of, we did a bunch of videos for this record with these different kind of like B-horror movie directors and stuff, and so there's kind oh. of some cool things sort of coming out. There's a few of them. Yeah, and then we did some other videos for this record, so we kind of have been taking whatever time that we have to sort of do some other sorts of things and um, it's kind of fun you sort of become like your own little tv studio or something like that at times <laughs> well you seem like a very enterprising uh, person so <laughs> i can see you and I, i'm being sincere like I, I appreciate that you you seem to have a i know from my own experience when i have the urge to do everything myself that there's a little bit of control issue stuff going on sure but i also i also know it's fulfilling and i also know it means it's going to get done and i'm not waiting for others so i imagine there's a mix of that in your general approach to your working days is that fair totally and i think that's even when at some point i realize like get it's kind of a dumb idea too but get involved in like so many projects at once because you know as you were saying like not everything you know sometimes you're waiting on things so yeah, it's like if I'm like recording stuff or building things or whatever, or getting some custom parts manufactured, or you know, waiting on someone, my camera friend, to come over or something like that. Then I can kind of coordinate all that stuff around it. Yeah, you, there's downtime in multiple projects somehow where you're yeah. like, I sent an email. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna just I'm not gonna sit by my computer for eight hours yeah. until I get a response. I'm gonna do other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your your initiative, I guess. That's great. And um, anyway, my point mm-hmm. in asking those questions is, uh, ultimately, if people want to learn more about uh, A Place to Bury Strangers and know more about this record, uh, C3U, which is excellent, and the new label, Dead Strange, where would you like to send them uh, using uh, their phones and computers? go to com or deadstrange.com, which is... D-E-D-Strange.com or, yeah, wherever. Instagram, I don't know. What is everybody using these days? TikTok or something? Are you, do you do this? <laughs> are you, are you yourself, uh, given how much you do in a day, do you spend much time on socials? Just a little bit here and there. It's like with all those different endeavors, you know, it's like you can get me on each one of those things once a week okay all right fair enough i think but, that's but it's a it's a lot of that stuff so you know <laughs> yeah no it's healthy <laughs> kind of it's crazy. healthy to disengage yeah, it's, it's healthy to avoid all of that stuff at all costs if you can but yeah, yeah. you know can't always do that well again i appreciate your perspective here uh, oliver so i awesome. want to i'm hoping to give people a a sense of what we've been talking about i'm hoping we can go out on a song from okay. c3u and sure. I wonder if, if if that's if that's cool. Can you choose one and also let us know why you chose it? Yeah, um, I would choose the song uh, "Hold On Tight," and I think that for me that song was like I don't know one of like just like a lot of hope and sort of excitement and sort of showing and appreciating all the sort of like good things that were coming about when things were kind of terrible and all the good friends and people around me and how important all that stuff was. Well, that's a very uh, lovely sentiment. Was it written uh, during the pandemic or because of the pandemic, so to speak? It was written, yeah, right around like the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, while in New York, 
everything was sort of like locked down and people were shooting fireworks all over the place on the streets and there was trash everywhere and nobody on the streets. You could just go into the city and it was like a ghost town and it was kind of pretty wild. It seemed sort of like uh, the end of the world. So, yeah. yeah. Now this, that, that that's, I appreciate that. This song has a very tactful curse in it, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you have to have attended uh, school at Sesame Street to know <laughs> what the curse is. Like you have to. That's, you that's what's going. Is that fair? That's a fair statement. So uh, let's yeah. just let everyone know. To you know, the word of the day is F, or no, the letter of the day <laughs> yeah, is F, and and that'll help yeah. you guide you in in making out For what sure. we're talking about. Okay, that I appreciate that explanation. This is hold on tight uh, from the excellent new record. See through you by A Place to Bury Strangers. So, Oliver, this was uh, really lovely to get to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and I wish you the best sure. luck uh, with everything in the future. You too, Vish. Yeah, I hope we get to hang out sometime. Yeah.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Oh, it's very nice to have Oliver Ackerman on the show for the first time. That's the first time we ever interacted and uh, seemed like a fun guy. Rolled with my dumb questions and comments. Thank you, Oliver. I hope you enjoyed it. I think we did. We had a nice report. What am I putting myself down for? I thought that was fun, fun and interesting, wasn't it? I don't know. You tell me. Anyway, thanks again, Oliver, for appearing on this, the 663rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it on your favorite uh, pod platform, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. Just to clarify, sometimes on your pod platform, they only go back a certain ways. They might only go back uh, two or 300 episodes. And as I say, this is 663. So if you want to find the older ones, you might have to go digging around. So anyway, they're all on my website, vishkana.com. And like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and place special orders at via their website, blackbird.ca. And also to Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. I want to thank my old friend Jim Guthrie, who is actually texting me at the moment, and I need to respond. I'm sorry. Jim, if you can hear me, I didn't respond right away because I'm talking about you. But I'll text you back in a second. Anyway, Jim uh, lets me use some music of his on the show. There he is again. Stop it. Stop texting me. He can't hear me. Anyway, uh, you can learn more about Jim and his amazing music at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode uh, with Oliver Ackerman. Check out that uh, A Place to Bury Strangers uh, album there, See Through You. It's really cool. And uh, check out the, the whole catalog, Dead Strange, everything. He's doing lots of cool stuff. Get a stomp box, step on it, do all that stuff. Anyway, yeah, thanks for listening to this episode and for subscribing to the podcast or following it on your uh, whatever you use there and also uh, for telling your friends about the show and maybe suggesting they do those same things. 
and spread the word about the show. Otherwise, I will talk to you very soon. Be well. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.